Bible says in Proverbs 29, um, with, without vision, the people perish, or without the revelation of God, people perish. Where out there's, without God's word is, there is perishing. When, when people set aside God's word, the truth of his word, when people try to silence his word, or when they put God's word with just a smorgasbord of other ideas, people perish. That is what we're seeing often in our own culture. It's the Bible, Scripture, the truth of God's Word, it's getting, it's getting set aside, it's being silenced, and many times it's just being put together with just a bit of a smorgasbord of other good thoughts and ideas. In all of that, what is coming from that and what results from that, one result is there's, there's a growing anger in our culture. There, there's a huge anger. There's just this, even this past week, you watch the news, any story, there's just this great demonstration of misuses of anger. In whatever circle in the world, politically, socially, culturally, in sports, just yesterday, just this morning, I saw at the end of the Michigan and Michigan State game, uh, just a big fight in the tunnel, uh, just this anger raging up. There's this constant demonstrations of misuses of anger in our culture around us. And there is just also just this a great deceit of anger. Anger is deceives us. We easily don't believe that we have the struggle with anger, but it's a very deceptive thing. And because of misuse of anger, because of the deceit of anger, how it can easily deceive us, and we, people get into these rages and they get upset because they believe they're right. And then they lash out in anger with great rage because they've been deceived by their misuse of anger to think that they're correct and they have, they're justified in how they respond to different situations. There's great damage because of a misuse of anger. Study after study has shown physically the effects of anger on a person's life and a person's body. Proverbs talks about that with Jennifer Red. It it brings brokenness to our bones, the Bible says, relationally. It is an explosion that can cause great Damage and culturally, we see the effects of a nation in rage. We, we are a culture that people are describing as a nation in rage, constantly angry, constantly in, in a fight. In the next couple of weeks, we as followers of Jesus Christ have a great opportunity to demonstrate and to live out the right types of anger. With everything you're going to see on the news in the next couple of weeks, uh, in our culture, politically, uh, we, we need to be able to have a view of anger and an understanding of anger so that we can just walk through the next couple of weeks as the people of God on the internet, at work, in person, in our homes, with a better handle about understanding how we deal with our own anger and the anger that is constant in our culture. It's a great dilemma, really. So what do you do with anger? Because reality is it's often uncomfortable, isn't it? You, you, you blow up something, 
And then you step back and look at it, you think, man, I was stupid, because you were stupid. And you realize oh, that was way over the top of what I needed to be. And it, anger can be just confusing sometimes. We're not even sure where it comes from. It just can rise up out of situations that is absolutely just surprising to us. But it's connected to so many other things in our lives. I agree with David Paulison, who said, to mess up when it comes to anger is to mess up your life. And to get anger straight is to get your life straight. Thankfully, I don't have a problem with anger. <laughs> problem is you all know me. And uh, that, I would love to be able to say that. And I just told Teresa a couple weeks ago, well, she said to me a couple weeks ago, she goes, man, it must be hard to always have to preach to yourself. Um, and it is. <laughs> So every Sunday, I get up here and I'm preaching to myself, and this week uh, as well, and I'm just thankful, on this situation particularly, that quite frankly, when I started to study on Monday and Tuesday, this topic and this passage, I was angry. Angry about things I didn't even realize that I was angry about. And God worked, and he brought conviction to me and the grace of repentance so, by God's grace, I think I'm preaching this morning not angry. But how did Jesus handle anger? And how does Jesus use anger and not get used by anger? Mark chapter 3 is the only explicit time in the Scripture, in the Gospels, that it mentions that Jesus is angry. Where it says explicitly that Jesus is angry. We, we know that there are passages where Jesus was, was angry, uh, it, where he knocked over the tables. But this, in Mark chapter 3, this passage is the only one where it explicitly states that Jesus was angry as he dealt with the Pharisees and their legalism. And the context of this passage is that Jesus has been in great conflict with the religious leaders. He's been on his public ministry for about a year and a half now. He's been going around preaching, teaching. People have been following him and the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders have been confronting him. And so if you read Mark chapter 2 through 3, there's about five different accounts of where the, the, these conflicts with the religious leaders, and this is the fifth one and that Mark highlights, these, these struggles and these conflicts where Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders. And this account of the man with a withered hand being healed is found in Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 6 and Mark chapter 3. And the controversy, the situation is there's this great controversy about will Jesus deal with the Sabbath the way that the Pharisees say that he should deal with the Sabbath. And the account before them is a confrontation with the Sabbath, and now it's another confrontation with what's he going to do on the Sabbath. And this controversy for the Jews and for the Pharisees, the Sabbath was, the, the, was this, this very special day where they just would not do anything. It was The Old Testament was given to them as a gift from God, as a day of rest and worship. 
The Pharisees had taken the Sabbath and they added to it all kinds of rules and regulations. And even in Isaiah and Jeremiah, God says he is sick to death with the way they've been dealing with his Sabbath, which was supposed to be a gift to them. But the Pharisees kept adding rules to it and just this legalism and this power that came with that over the people. And they would make up things and they would say, if, if for instance, you, your shoe was in a knot, you could not, which they didn't have shoes, I guess, if their sandals were in a knot, they would not be able to take the knot out until the next day. And if you were in a dire, there are certain things you could do. You could save somebody's life. And there's many things that you could not do, and they would just add laws and laws and just legalism and legalism. And Jesus comes in, and this is the controversy, and this is what he is confronting. And it says he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And Jesus would go around, he'd travel, and he'd speak into the synagogues on the Sabbath. And to speak in the synagogue, you would be invited to speak. And because he was who he was, and there was the message that he was sharing, they would often let him come in, and he would speak. He'd read scripture, and then he would speak. And it seems in this passage that it's almost a setup, that he entered the synagogue like he always did, almost at the invitation of the Pharisees. And there would have been a room with a low ceiling, and the people would have sat down, and maybe the Pharisees, would have, the leaders would have been sitting behind them, looking at the crowd. And Jesus is invited to come in. And in the invitation, it seems possibly that it could have been a setup. They invited this guy with a withered hand to come in because it says they wanted to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, what would he do? Because this was the big argument. And it says in another passage that in Matthew chapter 12, it mentions that Jesus knew this. He walked in and he knew their thoughts. He knew what their intentions was. He knew that they were trying to set him up. He, they, they, they knew what they were thinking. They knew that they were wondering, we got the guy with the withered hand in him here. We're going to sit him down. Let's just see what he does. Will he break the law of the Sabbath or not? So in many ways, it's a setup. And that's the context. Jesus walks into this context knowing the situation knowing the struggle, knowing that this has been an ongoing, constant conflict, and he teaches a master class on how to deal with legalism, but also how to deal with anger. So he walks in, and he knows the conditions are very unfavorable for him. He knows what they're thinking. He knows that they're trying to, to get him. So Jesus is not passive in this. He is actively confronting the issue. It says, they didn't, the Pharisees didn't point out to him the man with a withered hand. He was just in the crowd sitting there. And it was Jesus who said to the man with the withered hand, come here. So this isn't what that guy thought he was going to be there for. He just thought he was there for the service. 
But it's Jesus that calls him out. It's Jesus that points him out to everybody else. And here's this man now in the spotlight who has spent most of his life outside of the spotlight. He's a man with a withered hand, which means it probably didn't happen from birth. So it could have been an accident, it could have been a disease, it could have been something that caused his hand just to not be able to work anymore, which then caused his life just to start falling apart. He probably couldn't work, he was considered an outcast, he couldn't do what he was called to do, in many ways he couldn't even be in the temple because he couldn't be a full member of it because he had been maimed in some way. And maybe it was a special invitation he got, and he thought, just as great so he can be here. And he just shows up. He's already feeling shame. He's already feeling like he's not good enough. People don't want to hang out with him. And Jesus calls him out, and he says, come here. He's on the offensive. He knew what the Pharisees were thinking. He called the man up, and then he questioned them. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to to them, and Luke says in his account that it's the Pharisees that he's talking to. Is it lawful, he says, on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? In Matthew's account, Jesus gave this illustration. He said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? So he's questioning them. He has this guy standing there all alone. He looks at the Pharisees and he says, is it right or good? The the law of the Pharisees was that if someone was dying, you could save them on the Sabbath. But this man's not dying. He could have done it on Tuesday if he wanted to. He could have seen him at church and said, hey, let's get together for lunch. By the end of it, I'll heal your hand. He didn't do that. This guy's not dying. But Jesus confronts the Pharisees with this view. And he says, listen, what would you do if if one of your sheep fell in a pit on the Sabbath, what would you do? You would rescue it. So is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? And he looks at them. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus controlled his anger in this situation. Proverbs 17, 27 says, whoever restrains his word has has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Jesus was a cool spirit. He's the epitome of what the Proverbs talk about. And he was controlled in his anger. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And it is a powerful thing, this thing that we have when we, we, we deal with anger. It's, it's, it's unbelievably powerful emotion and dynamic in our lives. But notice what Jesus didn't do. 
in the situation. Jesus didn't deny that he was angry. He didn't suppress it, which reminds him, it's very specific, that Jesus is angry. Anger in itself is not a bad thing. The Bible says all through uh, the Old Testament that God is angry with the wicked. Anger by itself is not, in its essence, not a bad thing. Jesus never sinned. The Ephesians says, be angry and do not sin. Jesus didn't suppress his anger. The, the, the Mark knew. It says, Jesus looked around them in, with anger. He, there, was this, there was a real anger in Jesus when he looked at these people. He didn't suppress it. John Chrysostom, who was an early, early Christian, he said this, He that is angry without cause sins. But he who is not angry when there is cause, sins for unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. Some of you may say, well, I'm angry all the time. That's just the way God made me. So uh, he's just going to have to, he's going to have to deal with it that way. And some of you would be like, I would never get angry. I, I, I don't get angry at all. And you just suppress it. Both of those could be sin. It can be sin to be angry, and it can be a sin not to be angry. He that is angry without cause sins, but he who is not angry when there is cause sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. Jesus didn't deny his anger, and he also didn't detonate his anger. He didn't give the Pharisees this great illustration, clearly an obvious illustration, and look at them. They said nothing, and he didn't go off in a rage and hit the nuclear button, just go poof, which he could have done. With a breath, knocked them all out and taught the whole synagogue a lesson. He didn't do that. He didn't deny it, and he didn't detonate it. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. What Jesus did was he directed it. It says, and he looked at them with anger. And was grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus was angry and sad at the exact same time. What made Jesus angry was their hardness of heart. They didn't love this guy. Jesus was all about compassion and love. He is love. And he was saddened by their lack of love, but he was also saddened by their hardness of heart. He was angry at sin. He was angry, which motivated him because of his hatred for sin, that he loved these guys, he loved this man, and they weren't getting it, and that stirred him, that the, the, his hatred for sin and his anger against sin and the anger that was causing him to have this hardness of heart, that's what stirred them. That's where anger is a good thing, because it's what, when we get properly angry about, it, it shows us what we love. And Jesus was demonstrating that he's, he loves people, and he was highly angry at their sin, and what sin was doing to them. It was blinding them, and it saddened him at the same time. He was grieved 
at the hardness of their hearts. The Pharisees were also very angry through all this. I mean, they, they set this up, where they had been chasing him down. The, the Bible says they, they, were, they were watching him like they were stalking him. Anywhere he went, he, they were trying to see if he would mess up. Their anger against Jesus was leading them to just this destruction. It was leading them to delusion. It was leading them to darkness. But Jesus' anger moved him to love and moved him to be angry about what he should be angry about, and it moved him to, to demonstrate who he is in his love. Paulson's is, right, is what right. To mess up when it comes to anger is to mess up your life. How do we develop the right use of anger and not get used by anger? Jesus did not get used by anger. He, he, he used anger in the right way. Right? How, how do we develop it? It's got to be something that we develop. What we need to do, first of all, is we need to admit that anger is an issue. Anger is an issue in all of our lives. It is the most easiest thing to be deceived by. It's a deception. And it's something also that we want to press down and suppress. And both of them are not good. We aren't supposed to deceive ourselves and say, no, I don't have an anger, anger problem. I'll just be stoic. And we aren't supposed to just suppress it and not care about things that we should be angry about that move us to be what God would have us to do. What we need to do in admitting that we are angry, we just need to admit it, recognize it, see it in ourselves, and then assess and ask yourself, why am I angry at all? What anger does is reveals to us what we really love. It, it, that's what anger does. It's, a, it's a, just this revealing thing for us. Tim Keller says we should ask ourselves, what is the big thing that I'm defending? When you're angry this week, and it could be a little thing, if you evaluate and analyze and assess what it is that makes you angry, usually it isn't loving something correctly. It's usually because we love ourselves too much. We, we, we didn't get what we wanted, and so we're just angry and frustrated and tense, and then we, because we, 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 we love ourselves so much. And then we just say, I'm not angry. We don't talk to anybody for the rest of the day. We sit and sulk in our chairs. Uh, we were just we're frustrated with things not working out, but we say, well, I'm not exploding on anybody, so I'm not really angry. And we're just suppressing it and denying it in ourselves. But we need to admit that anger is an issue for us. And when we get angry and acknowledge it, we need to assess, you know, what is it that I'm really angry at? What is making me angry at all? Why am I angry? Well, what's this, what is the big thing that I am defending when I'm angry? And usually it is ourselves, our own self-interest, our own wants and our desires. And the way to deal with that is then to direct your eyes to Jesus. Which is what I'm trying to do this morning is us to see and direct our eyes to Jesus, but anger is such a constant struggle in our eyes. It's got to be something that you say, you know, I am an angry person. And I need to deal with my anger because anger is going to destroy my life. That's why people have been said that they're just angry. They've been angry for 30, 40, 50 years. Some of you just maybe just be angry. 
I mean, you're nice on Sunday and you're friendly at work and people think you're wonderful, but deep down at the core, you're just an angry person that has let that fester year after year and you've become a master of deceiving yourself and others and saying that you're really not that angry. But the truth is, you are. And it seeps. And the only way to, to deal with it is to direct your eyes to Jesus and very practically keep directing your eyes to Jesus. I'm going to try to be as practical this morning as possible. And I would just say to you, the way to be helped is keep looking at how Jesus spoke and dealt with anger and get some help and resources to help you deal with anger. I'm going to give you three possible ones. Uh, there's three. You can get them on audio. You can read them. But it'll make you sit down and direct your anger and direct your life for a season to say, am I angry? And help you understand the anger in your own life and help you understand and assess it as you direct your eyes to Jesus. There's a one called, a, it's, a, I mean, it's a very small book. I just gave a copy away. But it's called A Small Book About a Big Problem by Ed Welch. It's just a 40-day 40, 40 devotional on anger. We just deal with it. Another one is good and angry. Redeeming anger, irritation, complaining, and bitterness by David Paulson. And if you want to know the one that really worked me over this week, it's from the 1600s by Matthew Henry. The quest for meekness and quietness of spirit. 400 years ago, people were trying to figure out how to deal with anger. As you dive in and read those things, what you're doing is you're directing your eyes to Jesus. You're seeing how Jesus dealt with his anger, how he used anger and wasn't used by it. But we need to admit that we're angry. We need to direct our eyes to Jesus in our anger. And we just need to then develop the power of the pause. I mean, when Jesus asked his question, and he laid it out, this perfect example, in his unbelievable meekness and grace to them. And they were silent, which was a way for the Pharisees and their tie to say, you're, you're wrong. And Jesus didn't deny it, nor did he detonate his anger. It says, he looked at them. And there was this pause. Matthew Henry says, when our hearts are hot within us, it is good for us to keep silent and hold our peace. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 11, it tells us, now concerning brothers, brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. That brings glory to God. People who have said, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be used by anger. I want to use anger to motivate me to love and hate the things I'm supposed to hate. But I want to live a quiet and peaceful life. And the only way you do that is by admitting the issue, directing your eyes to Jesus, and asking the Holy Spirit to develop in you the power of the, the pause. 
and let that grow. And then pray for God's direction and deliverance. It's a constant struggle for Jesus. He was under the gun, under the pressure, under the struggle, and he was angry. And he never sinned in his anger. His anger was used to motivate him to act against what was unjust and what was ungodly. And he directed it correctly. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and it was healed. And instead of celebrating, instead of rejoicing in this unbelievable miracle that happened on the Sabbath, this man who had a withered hand who could now have a life, he can now flourish, he can now have friends, he can now be fully a part of the synagogue, the Pharisees stayed angry. And they went out immediately and held counsel with their arch enemies, the Herodians, against Jesus and how they could destroy him. That was their response. That's how you destroy your life. We need to pray for God's direction and deliverance when it comes to our anger and how we use anger and that we do not allow it to stop us from hating what we're supposed to hate or stop us from loving what we're supposed to love. I'm going to close with maybe one of the most famous prayers outside of the Lord's Prayer, the prayer of, Saint, of Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Let's pray.